Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's good for us to be here. I'm Joe Wood, the senior pastor of the church, and, and I hope that you have come in to sing, um, uh, You Are Worthy, Lord of All. I hope in your life somewhere you have the ability to just stop and allow God to be God and allow Him to uh, be, whoops, let me sure, make sure I do this right. I broke the last time I did this. Um, and, and, and just be thankful for what God is doing in your life. We were singing that song in the, in the uh, um, run through this morning and it took on a whole new meaning. I was out at a conference in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago with our staff and uh, one of the things that uh, some of the speakers kept saying is that uh, somewhere in their life they got, they got ambushed by God. They got ambushed by God. They got ambushed by God. And I kept thinking, what is this ambushed by God thing? And I, you know, I thought it was maybe one of those freaky things that you know, I sit in the corner and stay away from because um, I don't see anybody getting ambushed by God until you read the scripture. And then it's like, yeah, I guess you could consider that an ambush by God. And uh, this morning as we were worshiping, because I find myself worshiping during the run-through. The, the run-through is so spiritual, it's ridiculous. Um, but I got ambushed by God, and, and I got left in a big puddle. Um, and I thank God for that, because it's like, God, that's what I need. I need to meet you. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be the preacher. I don't want... I need to meet you. And that's our prayer for you. Our prayer is that you walked in the door, and it's like, hey... Um, I need to meet God. I need God to touch my life. I need him to, I need him to do something. I need, I, I need to know that God sees me. I need to know that God is aware of what I'm going through. I need to know that God even cares about what I'm going through. And I believe with all of my heart, just looking back in my life, that, that you can say that of God, that he cares about the fact that you're going through something. You know, sometimes you don't know the people next to you are going through a train wreck. And then you might not know that the people next to you are going through the most exciting, wonderful time of their whole life. And it's all happening at the same time. And so it's not like, you know, hey, we got to take time out on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for train wrecks, and on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it's happiness. That's not how it works. At any given moment, you've got a friend over here going through a struggle, and at the same time, you've got somebody over here that wonderful things just happen to. And that's why the Scripture says that we mourn with those who mourn. And then we turn right around and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And believe it or not, this is just real life. That's what it is. At any given day, any given moment, any one of us can be going through just absolutely anything. And I want to uh, talk to us about that being why we're here in Richmond, Kentucky. There's a reason that God planted this vineyard 12 years ago. There really is. There's a reason that you're in here today and you might think that you came in because that girl's cute or your wife drug you in here, or whatever it might be. But you know what I'm going to say, right? Psalm 139 says that every day ordained for me was written down in God's book before even one of them came to pass. That doesn't mean God has got you like a puppet, a marionette, and you're dancing and doing what he wants. It means that he exists outside of time and he can see your beginning and your end. And if you'll just put your life in his hands, you can trust him. And I've come to understand that. And it was made resounding to me again today. I want to read Genesis chapter 4. We've been talking about children for so long, I kind of miss my wrecking ball that's up here. There was a picture of it on, on uh, social media, driving away in the back of somebody's truck, and I, 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 I might have shed a tear. I, I might have. It's like, there goes our wrecking ball. It's, you know, it's come to adulthood, and now it's going out in the world. Um, it's going to be a part of something else. But um, that being said, um, we, we've been talking about children and raising children and what children are, and then us being children of God. And to some degree, I'm still 
talking about children, but I'm not really talking about children. I want to talk about us as a church, but I'm just continuing to be reminded that, that one of the greatest metaphors of our relationship to God is family. It just is, and it just keeps popping up all through Scripture. So, in the book of Genesis, this is a Bible. The words will show up up there. Some of you use your electronic device. That's fine. But if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Not, uh, uh, you know, the most famous um, Scripture in the world, but one that most everybody is kind of aware of, um, even if they've only had a, you know, a glancing look at church. It says here in, in uh, chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and just so you know, that's, you know, that's just people that you know, studied the Bible um, trying to be super puritanical, okay? Um, what that says is, Adam had sex with his wife Eve, and she gave birth to Cain, her firstborn son. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must grab a hold of your life and say, no to sin. It says, then the Lord, excuse me, then it says in verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. When the Lord came to, came to Cain, he said to him, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And it's that question, that, that's the one that I want to look at. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> Excuse me, as we, as we think about being a church right here in Madison County, as we understand relationships, as we interact with one another, as we look around us at work, as we look around us as we're going about our every day, are we our brother's keeper? What is it that God is attempting to say when he asks that question? And I believe wholeheartedly that it was a rhetorical, excuse me, when Cain asked that question of God, and, and, I, and I believe that he was just being flippant, not rhetorical, he was being flippant. How should I know where he is? Am I my brother's keeper? Do I have to babysit him? Do I have to keep my eye on him? Is that what I have to do all the time? Is it my job today to know? Every once in a while, my brother calls me, and, and, he, and he says, uh, what are you doing? And I say, well, I don't know. I said, what are you calling me for? He said, well, it appears that it's my day to call you and find out what you're doing because the Lord put you on my heart. So I've got to, you know, make sure I know where you are and what you're doing. And it's like, okay, so he takes it seriously. You know, am I my brother's keeper? And he's there. You ever wonder as we go through the whole family thing and as we've looked at stuff, if your family is normal? Apparently, some of you don't think so. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've said it before, but there's a time in my life when I, I asked God, why couldn't I have been born into a, a normal family? And 28 years into ministry, <laughs> I've come to understand there's no such thing as normal. So I, I got exactly, you know, what, what the Lord had birthed me into. 
You're having the worst day of your life with your kids and you wonder if they'll ever make something out of themselves. You're raising your children and you think, wow, Lord, could you just get them old enough that I can kick them out so that we can have our lives back and, and you know, we can live a life of promise and hope and love and chasing each other around again. You know, and, and, and that's, that's what we do. But sometimes you just need to get into the word and you just need to come to understand that there is no such thing as normal or, or that your family really is normal. Because when you look at this, here's another older brother, younger brother story. And it's a story of Cain and Abel. It's a story of the oldest brother being upset, being jealous, just like Joseph, just like some of the other stories. And so they take matters into their own hands. And so here's Cain. And when it says he's a, a man of the field, that means he sows the field and he, he, he plant and grows wheat and he harvests the wheat and he plants pumpkins and he plants squash and he plants all the things. And, and, and so he's a worker in the field. And then we've got Abel who keeps the flocks. He's a shepherd, whatever it is. It might be cattle, it might be um, sheep. But at the end of the day, they both, based on the relationship they have with Adam and Eve, the first people, and I love this, that they still seem to have a relationship with God. They're bringing sacrifices to God. And that, that means that, you know, some things were said. But in the course of all of this, they, they had to have been told what it was they were supposed to bring. And we've got uh, Cain being so dysfunctional that instead of sitting down and having a conversation, you know how it is, your children are in the living room and they're throttling each other when you walk in and, and you're like, what are you doing? And they're like, nothing, he's gagging, you know, and I'm helping him, you know, and really he was about to, you know, lower your dependence on your IRS form. That's about what was going to happen. And so what do you do? You know, when they're really little, you say, give each other a hug. Come on, hug each other. And they're like, no, no. And you're like, well, you're not going to eat supper until you hug each other. Okay? Or, or, or you're like, say, I'm sorry. Say, both of you have to say, I'm sorry. And it's like, well, why do I have to say, I'm sorry? It was his fault. Why do I have to say? And so what do you say? Okay, we're going to sit down and talk and work it out. That, that never works. You know, you spend 45 minutes or an hour with them and you think you've done great things as a parent. And the next day you walk into the living room and they're throttling each other again. You know, and it's like, didn't you learn anything? Yes, yes, we did. You know, we tried to do it quieter this today, you know. And that's usually what happens um, when these things are going on. But again, it's that kind of a story. As we go through it, again, I want to make some assumptions real quick. And that is that Adam and Eve still have a great relationship a great relationship with God himself. You know, they sinned in the garden, and God had them thrown out of the garden. Then he had an angel put at the gate of the garden so that they could not come back in and eat from the tree of, of life. And so they went out into the world, and as they go out into the world, they give birth to children. But clearly, God has explained them the requirements of sacrifice, um, as well as the law of sin and death, meaning that when somebody sins, something has to die. Not some grain has to be burned up. Not some apples have to be put on the altar. But something has to die. So clearly God has explained this to them. Um, and so a substitutionary atonement is the official term for that. Um, and that begins to take place. And specifically it means this. When somebody sins, blood has to be shed. It's the sacrificial system that comes to Moses in the wilderness. Okay? And so the first thing is God clearly had an ongoing relationship with Adam and Eve. Secondly, Adam got that message across to his sons. 
Adam's relationship to God and the requirements of sacrifice because of sin, he got that message across to Cain and Abel. And they understood that when they made a harvest, when they got their paycheck, when they um, saw all the little um, sheep that were born this year in the field, they understood God wants his share because he's the one that's bringing us blessing. And Cain understood that God wanted it to be sheep not necessarily the fruits of the field. And so what happened was, and, and again, we have to make some assumptions, that um, Abel brings in a lamb, a sheep, and, and it gets killed and it gets consumed upon the altar, a fairly regular practice for religions back then. And then Cain comes in, and, and we have to recognize that there's a little bit of, well, we're going to do it my way. I don't care what God wants. This is what I grow. This is what I raise. This has to be good enough for God. See, there's, there, there has to be a little bit of that. And, you know, people often wonder, how do we know that God favored his sacrifice over his sacrifice? And there's, you know, paintings out there from ages gone by of smoke arising from Abel's sacrifice, but not from Cain's. And the fire coming down and burning up Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Somewhere in there, Cain got the message that doing things his way was not good enough for God. And that's the seed that's inside of all of us. It really is. Well, this is the way God made me, and this is the way I am, and this is who I am, and this is what I'm going through, and this is what I feel about the situation, and therefore I don't care what God says. God has to accept me just as I am. And I just need you to understand, no, he does not. That's why Jesus died for us. Because he can't. And when you read in the scripture and you say, oh, this is what Jesus said, well, in this situation I would do this, and God would just have to understand. No, he does not. What he understands is what he said would happen. You know, it's kind of like parenting, and you tell your children, I want everybody in bed at 9 o'clock, and we come home, everybody better be in their bed, sound asleep, except the babysitter. And you come home at 10 o'clock instead, and nobody's in bed, and everybody's running around, nobody's even had a bath, and you say, hey, what's the deal? And we said, well, we don't care, you know, what you said. We're doing what we want. <laughs> what do you do as a parent? You say, okay, you're right, you're right. We accept this. We accept this as parents. Do whatever you want. But that's the way we approach God, isn't it? Instead, as parents, we like not. Well, we just take them in the back room and we wear, we wear them out. Okay? I did not say anything really binding. I said that's what people probably do. If you're watching online and this is a... Okay, so you, you wear them out so that they know next time this is how it's going to be. Well, not that God wears us out. But just the idea that God made it clear what he wanted to happen, and Cain was like, no. And so somewhere in here, God favored Abel. And Cain looked at it with a little bit of jealousy. It's, it's the story of the prodigal son. It's, it's this whole thing playing out over and over and over again. And so he sees that, wow, well, you know, God, how come you accepted him and you didn't accept me? And again, I'm, I'm writing this for you. But, and God's saying, well, Cain, I told you how to do it. And Cain says, well, I don't care. This is what I grow and this is what you get. And God says, no, you got to go to the younger brother and get a sheep and bring it up. And, and so you, you, something in here allowed that to take place because there's a reason that God has an expectation that Cain would understand that this is the way it worked. There has to be a reasonable expectation. So the baby of the family brought his sacrifice. The older brother said no. And so we get this story. You get this, God. God has to accept me as I am or I won't follow him. 
I'll give to God, but maybe not a tithe. This is all he gets. It's all he needs. God says, don't have sex before marriage, but we prayed about it, and he's okay with us doing this. You know, I'd like to say I never hear that. I have to admit to you, I hear that all too often today. And it's still not acceptable to God. You can say it 85 times, and it's still a lie. It's not the thing I want to camp on today, but just saying, okay? It wasn't okay in the beginning. It's not okay today. Okay, in the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew 22, God notices that there's a man at the banquet not dressed in the clothes that God gave them. So again, we make an assumption that when God invites us to the wedding banquet, he gives us the clothes to wear. And the scripture will say that the, the, the righteous deeds of the saints are the white robes that they're wearing. That's how it describes him. And this man didn't want to do what God said. And so the Lord said, well, then throw him out because this is how it works. And that's the way it's going to be. We have to come to God, God's way. Cain let his anger well up about not being accepted by God. As God interacts with Cain concerning this act of murder, let's just admit there probably have been times in all of our lives that have a younger or an older brother where we've contemplated this. Um, I moved here, and um, I wasn't here very long, and you know, somebody came up to me and said, you know, if you ever need to get rid of somebody, I know some places in Estill County. They'll never find them. They, it will never happen. There's been a time or two I've thought about it. I'm not going to lie. Okay, and then I got sanctified, and we planted this church. And so we're doing good. Okay, but let's just be honest. There's been some times where we wanted to go all, and, and this is just my new phrase. We wanted to go all Cain and Abel on somebody, didn't we? And the Lord says, no, that's not how we're going to operate. Again, why I got off Facebook. Okay, we're not going to do this, Joe. It's not what you've been called to. You've been called to turn the other cheek. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll turn the other cheek, but the third time he's going down. Okay, that's not what God said. Okay, we got to back up and look at it. And so we've got this picture, and God brings Cain into his presence and says, Cain, where's Abel? And he says, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? When you look around, and you pull into the parking lot here, or when you leave the parking lot, and you see that guy holding a sign, when you're aware that the family next door is going through a terrible crisis, maybe their marriage is splitting up, maybe they lost a child, maybe they uh, lost a job, uh, maybe um, the job they have isn't enough to help them sustain a, 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 a healthy life. Uh, the question comes up, are you your brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper when they're making good decisions, but not when they're making bad decisions? Are you your brother's keeper when they're godly Christian people or when they're little pagans making all the dis wrong decisions? Are you your brother's keeper when you see the need or only when your church is willing to put something together and do something about it? See, these are questions that go through people's minds. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is a very loud and resounding yes. We are our brother's keeper. We have been called to this. Check this out in the, in the book of Acts, in Luke's letter to Theophilus, about the activity of the early church. You know, a lot of people, a lot of times, pastors get together, you're in Bible college, you're in seminary, whatever you're in that you went to, and, and, and you go through things, and you sit around and you say, well, what should the church really look like? 
And for a long time, there were people like, well, we want to be a, you know, a, a, a book of Acts church. You know, we want to be a, book, a church that does just like the, you can't go back and be a first century church. You can't. It's not the first century. You're going to show up to church in a car. So you just wrecked it. You blew it. Okay. So that's not going to happen. But look at what the church, when it was started, when Christ started the church through Peter's sermon, when he launched it out there in 3,000, it was a church of 3,000. I don't like big churches. I don't like church of 1,000 people, 3,000 people. God does, <laughs> because the first one was 3,000, and a couple of chapters later, 5,000 got added. It grew and grew and grew. It was huge. But look at, the, what, what, look at what they were doing. In Acts chapter 2, it says, the, the church they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. I'll work on the teaching, but I love fellowshipping with you. I love having coffee. I love laughing. I love, you know, you know somebody says something that's a little bit embarrassing and everybody's having it. And you walk away from gathering together with people and you say, we haven't laughed that hard in so long. I love being a small group when people start getting honest and we can laugh with each other. And people go home, and my wife says, we haven't laughed like that. Did you see how close and intimate everybody was sharing their secrets and their stupidity? And we just laughed. I love fellowship and what it means. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody that had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were uh, being saved. And I love this phrase. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. When's the last time you had somebody in? When's the last time hospitality was in action? Because this is what Christian people do. They open up their homes, they host groups, they host people, they give, they provide for those in need, and it's what the Bible was said they were doing. As a matter of fact, in order to be considered for leadership, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy and Titus that you have to be hospitable. You've got to be hospitable. You must be willing to open up your home and welcome people in and make them feel important. And sometimes being hospitable isn't just about physically locating somebody into your house as much as it is being willing to open up your heart and say, I'll share with you. Not, uh, I'll be appropriately intimate with you with my feelings and my hurts and my pain and my, my sufferings. I will be appropriately intimate with you about what I'm struggling with and what I'm going through so that we can laugh together and we can cry together. I will be hospitable in my being, not just in my house, and not just to the people that I like. Paul tells Titus this, rather a leader must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So when we're presented with, um, with wrong doctrine, we have studied sound doctrine so much that when we see it, it we're like, no, nah, not that. No, 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 come on. And we recognize it. That's how we're to know that. 
But we do a disservice again to believe that hospitable only means that we feed people because it means we're willing to let them into our lives, and that's important. But it does mean that we feed people. It does mean that. As a church plant in 2009, we had dreams and visions of what God was about to do, and at the same time, we didn't have a clue. Man, we had big dreams that I still have and the Lord is bringing me back into. And that is that this mall that is dead and dying will be a mercy center for Madison County in central Kentucky. That this will be the place where people come and find a counselor. That this will be the place where people come and find ESL so that they can get more entrenched in the community. This will be the place where teens, where students, where people will find help to help them as they try to get through their academic year. That there will be substitute teachers. This is where people will come to find food. This is where people will come to find clothing. This is where people will come to find Jesus and people that will put their arms around them and pray for them. That's the dream. The vision statement of the Vineyard Community Church of Richmond, Kentucky, if you're not familiar with it because it's been so long since you've taken starting point, says we envision to become or create a community of people that want to seek God in truth and exist in community through faith in Jesus Christ. People that say that to each other don't bump heads and say that's it and throw their hands up. They're family. They come together and when I bump heads with my brother, I don't say don't ever call me again. I say, take a breath, but let's work it out. Let's sit down. We envision to seek God in truth and exist in community through faith in Jesus Christ, by which we have way more in common. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God according to the promise of Jesus in John 14. And that's, that, that's the one that makes us feel like, ooh, I don't know. Halloween's just over and we're still like, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Holy cow we better get out of here you know that's how we are um, but that's where we want to be to celebrate the love of God in worship and sacrifice not like we're killing sheep up here but we're we're sacrificing our time and our energy and we are sacrificing our lives to see people come to know Jesus we want to be a people of the word and in the word to see people's lives changed for good <laughs> as a new community we want to bring the good news of god's restoration to the poor to the broken to the hurting people of our community and even our world and you don't see what i see during the week not on social media but this week's been a big one and the lord the, the lord just reminded me that's what we're doing the hurting and the broken people we're going to sit with them we're going to meet with them we're not going to live our lives so fast and so hard that you don't have time to put the brakes on and say, hey, I can't come in today, or I'm going to come in late today, or I'm going to take a time. We're not going to live at the end of our money so bad that when it comes time and God says, I want you to help that person, you say, well, Lord, then you're going to have to do something because he has done something. But we've just got to begin to be better managers of it in our own personal lives. As a new community, we want to bring the good news of God's restoration to the poor, to the broken, to the hurting people in our community, and even our world. It will be our goal to feed the hungry. That means buy food and give it to them. Take it to them. It will be our goal to clothe the naked. Hopefully they're not there, but we'll help those people that are in need there as well. It says that we will heal the sick. 
That's not going to happen if we don't get in step with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be happen if we're not if if we're going to live too afraid of sticking our neck out and looking foolish as we journey together. We will intentionally gather together to worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We will intentionally disperse to take the message of heaven to the poor and the rich, to our friends and to our enemies. And we will strive to be the people of peace and prayer and let active love be the evidence that we are even in this county, that we're here. For the first five years or so, we had a food pantry that was open on the second and fourth Saturdays of the month, as well as a clothing closet to help folks that needed help. Barely ahead of COVID, we'd begun to say that maybe we could do better if we invested it in an organization that was already doing in that and then bolster that and do that. And then COVID kind of shut that down. And then also a bad relationship shut that down. And I was attempting to say, how can we create more unity by bringing us together with other organizations already doing that? And as a result of that, it all fell apart. And we're not feeding anybody and we're not clothing anybody except on special occasions. And I will say, hands down, even to you out there in cyber world, you are some of the most generous people I have ever had the privilege of leading. Because I know for a fact that if I make a phone call, people stand up and say, we'll cover that. We'll take care of that. We just need to live that on a regular basis. I'm not, I'm not complaining. Please don't hear me complaining. We just need to get to where we live that on a regular basis in this physical building. It's time for us to heed the call of our national director, Phil Strout. If you're watching this, Phil, you're still on till the end of December. <clears throat> Jeremiah 6 says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. I shared that scripture with you a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sharing it with you again because the Lord has grabbed that scripture and shaken me with it and said, you go back to 2009, and you sit down, and you read your notes, and you look at why you planted this church. And it was to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, and to reach out to the marginalized people that weren't invited to people's parties. It was to reach out to people that needed to know Jesus, because we are killing people with religion in America today. I have talked to more people this week that grew up in churches that were more interested in them acting good than being Christian. And I'll say it that way. And we've got to get back to the place where we be Christians and it causes us to act good. And so here we are. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's recapture the vision. See, in the beginning, the crossroads was right here. God said, I want you to go to the mall. I want you to step in there and ask them for a space. And I said, Lord, two years ago when I was with the other church, they threw me out and said, no. And the Lord said, do it anyway. When I walked in, they said, yes. And they gave us this space. And they treat us so well. They really do treat us so well. The original plan was for us to be in the mall at Penny's at the end of the, the chain. The original plan was for this to become the Richmond Mercy Center for our community to receive help and find hope through Jesus Christ. The original plan was for us to touch lives of friends and foes alike and to love them practically, intentionally, ridiculously, and I want to use this word audaciously because I'm really excited about that word and what it means for me to receive from God according to John 10.10. 10. Audaciously. The original plan was to see a daycare in this mall. Somebody came up and talked to me two weeks ago. 
before I ever said anything out loud. And they said, you know what we tried to do last year before COVID hit? We tried to rent a space down there. We were going to open up a daycare. They go to this church. I said, you know what we did five years ago? I can pull the paperwork, the envelope out that has us as a 501c3 in Frankfurt. I can pull some of your checks out of that envelope or that file because you'd already put money down because that's what was about to happen. And then based on a crisis that took place, we couldn't move forward. The original plan was a counseling center right here in this building with people that could help people, trained people, not pastors, real people, real counselors, okay, real ones. The original plan was a food bank, a clothing bank, an ESL training center, a youth center. It would be a 501c3 center. We would only be the church at the end, helping people and letting them know that somebody cares. And I believe this, nothing can stop us if God is calling us to it. Nothing. Nothing can stop us. It was our goal back then to walk in the Holy Spirit and attempt to keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. It is so easy when you're attempting to walk with God and keep in step with the Holy Spirit to get into trying to hold it all together, especially in COVID. And instead of being on the offense, and I'm sorry for all the offensive that I've been on, that's not what I mean. Instead of being on the offense and pushing back against the darkness and doing good, you pull back and you get, go on the defense. And you just try to hold it together. And your focus is hold it together, hold it together, hold it together. And for that, I'm sorry. For that, I will legitimately say, I'm sorry. Why, Pastor Joe, am I my brother's keeper? Why is that? And I say, yes, we are our brother's keeper. And we are responsible for those among us that don't know about God, that, don't, that need food, that need clothing, need community and that need help, because we've all been called to come together in a unity of purpose, just like when Jesus met with his disciples at the feeding of the five or 10,000 people, however you want to see that, and he gathered his disciples together, and they said, these people need something to eat. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. You give them something to eat. And when I was preparing for this a couple of weeks ago, I heard the Lord say, then you do it. You give them something to eat. Us. Not the church. Us as individuals that are a church are called to do this. The disciples understood it meant for them to make something happen. So much so that they ran through the crowd to see if they could find anybody with food. Because they had to have had an expectation that if they had a little bit of food, Jesus could do something. I'm not talking about Harry Potter magic. I'm talking about the kingdom of God power that we need to lay a hold of. Those disciples had just come back from a mission trip preaching two by two, preaching the gospel of grace, casting out demons and healing people. And now they wanted to see Jesus feed these people. And I'm thankful that we are a church of people that want to feed these people and take it upon ourselves. I got a message yesterday from Bruce Withers. I don't know if he's sleeping sitting on his couch, Pikeville with his family, not in the front row, but it's okay because 
We don't have business meetings, but you can always ask what this church is doing, what it's spending its money on, and I will give you the budget of this church if you need to see it. I'll, I'll give it to you. I am not ashamed of where all the resources that come in here go, not even a little bit. But I'll tell you of all the resources that come in here, the one that tickles me the most is this right here. It's 500 children in Marindera, Zimbabwe, Africa, on the continent, that don't have food on a daily basis. I'm telling you, except that you personally feed them. You do. When you give to this church, I'm telling you, we send thousands of dollars to Paul Grobler and Annette G. Grobel, Gro Grobler, and they in turn physically go to this school and they give those little children those cups full of food. You see Bruce Withers and our Lane Taylor here. And we gave those little children food just to be a part so that we could come back and testify that this is where your money is going. And it's not yours. You brought it to God. It belongs to Him. It's His money. But this is what He said we're to do. He said, you feed them. I was in Zimbabwe and I said, God, these kids can't survive on two meals a week that they can count on. And God said, yeah, you feed them. And I came back and I begged you for money. And now you feed those children. They sent us this letter this week, and this is what Bruce sent to me. On behalf of the Rector Peter House Girls High School, St. Francis School Head, SDC, staff, learners, and parents would like to express our heartfelt gratitude over Maehu, that's the food, feeding program for our learners. The Maehu feeding program has positively impacted our learners' health, academic, and absenteeism is now a thing of the past. May, all, may the Almighty continue to give you strength in all your endeavors. They sent that to Paul and Annette G. And Annette, you can see, it says Paul and partners, your partners. That's you. And Paul said, this isn't us. This is you, Vineyard Richmond, Kentucky. This is you right there. That is you that they're thanking. Because we've been called to make a difference. And we have to stop being defensive. We have to go on the offense with love. This, this month, we're going to take food to people at Thanksgiving. And our goal is to pray with them and invite them to join us if they don't have a church. That's what we're going to do this year. That's our outreach. We do an outreach every month that we possibly can. Take our resources and say, how can we impact Richmond? But listen to me. Everyone needs to bring food in. Everyone not some people. We walked past it. We've seen it. It's great. You're doing a great job. I just want to encourage that when every one of us does something, then a few of us don't have to do everything. This is a community where we say, this is my church. I invest my time here. Everyone needs to bring food. Some people need to say, hey, I want to help sort the food into bags. Some people need to say, I want to deliver foods and pray for families. All said and done, it takes about two hours of delivery time and about two hours of setup. And we're talking about four or five hours of your time in two Sundays. As we head into the holiday season, it must be our mission to follow the lead of God and to see what he is doing and then join him in that.
And so I honestly, this is not a rhetorical question. This is a question I pose to you because I need the answer. Jesus lives in you just as much as he lives in me. I'm not more special to him than you are. I just have a different role. Can you hear God's voice calling you concerning the people around us in this county, in central Kentucky? What do you think that we can actually do? And do you care about the poor people in our midst? In our midst. Do you care? I would relish your ideas. I love it when somebody comes up and says, we had this idea for a daycare. And the Lord says, remember five years ago. It's like, you did it, God, didn't you? You did it. You brought it back around. Because the Lord said, visit the crossroads and go back to who you were in 2009. And press into that. Hard. As much as we can. Father, as we come before you, we know you've called us to this thing. To right here. And so God, once again, we pile up our stones right here on this side of the river. This is our promised land. We didn't build it. We didn't plant it. We didn't cultivate it. But it's ours. In the name of Jesus, I claim it. And my prayer, God, is that just like with Israel, you give it to us free and clear. And then you send people in here that will help us be responsible as they lead this side and we grow the church. In my heart, God, I just just want you here changing people's lives because there are some hurting people and in my soul God I'm jumping up and down because I know you're right here and we're about to embrace it change every one of us in this room God wreck our hearts and then put our lives back together in a manner in which we dream big dreams believe big things and sacrifice whatever it takes to join you in the work that you're doing right here. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've gathered together this morning, these people are up here to pray for you. And I know based on my week that some of you are celebrating, restructuring your life and dreaming about what God's about to do. And some of you have run into walls and it hurts. Some of you, things are beginning to crash you don't know which way to turn just yet. We want to pray for you. Listen to me. You're not less spiritual if you come forward. You're not weaker if you come forward. But marriages are falling apart at a ridiculous rate around me. And I just want us to be praying for each other. And if you're in here and you need prayer, we're going to go into this closing song. And this is the place to just come and say, you know what? I want what God's got for me today. I'm not settling for nothing when I walk out of this building. I want it all. I want it all. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.